We'd like to thank you for joining the broadcast of Oakley Baptist Church in Orange Park, Florida. Oakley Baptist is all about leading people to God. We do this by learning God's Word, loving God and others, and living out our faith. For more information, visit us online at oakleybaptist.org. Hey, Oakleaf Baptist Church, it is great to be able to spend some more time in God's Word with you tonight. Listen, I'm excited about what God's doing and how He is working. Listen, it is amazing to see how God works in the lives of people. Listen, as we look at the Word of God tonight, we are celebrating a monumental night in our Bible study. That is, this is Esther chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. Do you know what that means? It means that this is the last study in Esther that we're going to do in this series. What was that? I think I just heard some of you sigh, go, oh, I know. But we are going to continue to study God's Word together, and I'm excited about what we will do in the future with our study. So as we begin tonight, let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's ask Him to bless our time together in His Word. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for how You love us. Thank You for the blessings You've given us. Thank You for how You gave Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary that we might be redeemed. Thank You, Father, for salvation. Thank You that we might be reconciled to You. God, I pray for those who are watching the video I pray that they will be moved. I pray that they will learn. I pray that they will grow. I pray that they'll take what's said in this video in some way, shape, or form and use it in their life to tell others about Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to stay focused on always leading people to God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, as we start the study this evening, I want to encourage you to get your copy of God's Word. And we're going to go to Esther 10. So, Let's do what we do every week. Let's start in Genesis and go to Esther as we recite our Bible books. You ready? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Now, as we get to Esther, let's go over to chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. Now, last week when we left off, we left off with... Uh, with the Jews enable, or, or enacting a celebration of the 14th and 15th day of Adar in, in, in a monumental uh, uh, decree that was sent out by Esther and Mordecai, encouraging and, and telling the Jews to celebrate these days as days that God delivered them from the evil Haman, and his edict to annihilate and destroy all the Jews. So this, uh, the last study we had, we were uh, studying how they sent this decree out, and the Jews uh, participated, and the proselytes participated, in celebrating the 14th and 15th day of Adar perpetually. Every year after this decree went out, they would celebrate to remind everybody how God providentially took care of His people, and how He saved them, He rescued them from destruction. Listen, as we studied last time we were together, uh, Mordecai did not want Israel to ever forget how great God worked right here in the book of Esther. So, tonight we're going to close out the book with chapter 10. Let's start and let's dig a little deeper here into verse 1. The Bible says here, And King Ahasuerus laid a tribute upon the land and upon the isles of the sea. Now, this idea here is that he laid a tribute across the land. He, he, he laid a tax out. He, had, he sent out and basically 
the coffers, the the treasury needed funds. You say, well, why? It's a kingdom. Well, let's consider. Uh, he has thrown some very large parties that cost a lot of money. He has went to uh, war and went down into Greece and uh, that resource to carry an army down there and go through all that, it cost a great deal of money. Now, mind you, this war in Greece was still going on even as we approach chapter 10, the one that we studied way back in like chapter 2. Okay, It's still going on. So you can imagine, it went on for about 10 years, the resources that went into this battle that was waging there. As we look into the, the study notes and we look into what God's doing here, we need to remember that uh, he says here, the king has laid tribute. He sent tax upon all the land and upon all the isles of the sea. Now, the isles of the sea that it is referencing to here is those isles that were made captive in that uh, in that uh, that that military movement that went down through Greece. So we're talking about the Isle, Isle of Tyrus, uh, or Tyre. We're talking about Cyprus. We're talking about Ardis. We're talking about all those areas, you know, kind of down that way, those islands. Um, probably the islands right there off of the uh, Aegean Sea. And uh, you can look at a map and you can locate those if you'd like to take the time to do so. But these were all the isles that were... Uh, taken over from the Greeks as they went down through there and they had their military campaign. We see here that um, in in this verse, uh, these wars that took place that went, went again, we're talking about a 10-year period of time. This was just a, a constant financial burden to Ahasuerus as he continues in his kingdom trying to, uh, trying to, uh, complete this military campaign. So uh, we let's go into verse ten, verse two. The Bible says, "And all the acts of the power and of his might, and the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai, whereunto the king advanced him, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of the Medes and Persians?" Now, if we look at this verse, we see here, "And all the acts and power of his might." That word "might" in this passage of scripture is also translated "authority." So all the acts and the power of his authority and, and the de declaration of the greatness of Mordecai are now recorded uh, for a, a, uh, a lifelong, uh, a, a continual remembrance of who Mordecai was and what he did and the power he held and the authority that he had. All of that was recorded in these Chronicles of the Kings of the Medes and Persians, and these were there perpetually for um, for all people throughout time to be able to see and read. Now, you have to understand that the, the historical documents that were kept uh, by the Medes and Persians were ones that were uh, notoriously detailed and well-recognized. And we need to remember that, that it's important that not just the biblical history that we see as we read the Scriptures, but the secular history that exists in this world uh, backs up. It, it supports what the Bible is saying. Now, regardless of whether it supports it or not, the Word of God is true and it's right uh, because it is God's Word. However, normally, in 99.9% .9 of the time, uh, secular documents, historical documents, will support what Scripture tells us. I think it's interesting that throughout my 
my life as I've studied the scriptures and, and read these historical documents, I think it's interesting how sometimes uh, the Bible gives us facts and information that you can't find in secular documents and, and historical um, uh, recordings. Listen, just because the secular historical recordings do not have proof of what the Bible says does not mean that, that the Bible is wrong. The Bible is right, and it has yet to be proven wrong from a historical standpoint. It is God's Word. It is true. It is reliable. You can build your life upon it. It is preserved. It is there for us to grow, not just academically to learn about who God is and what He's done in the past, but for us to spiritually grow. That means that the, the Holy Spirit of God is going to what we call illuminate. That means that He is going to take God's Word. It is living. And as we read it, He, the Spirit of God, is going to illuminate it. He's going to make it real in our hearts and in our lives so that we can grow personally in our relationship with God and our understanding of the Scriptures. It comes through the, the Word of God, come, the, the hearing and the listening of it and the Holy Spirit's illumination of it can only come through our time we spend in it. It's not just going to happen as we live a life of a believer, it, it's going to come directly from reading the Scriptures and studying them. So as we do that and we see that, understand that the Scriptures always takes authority and precedence over anything that we have or exists. Okay? So as we look at this passage uh, in verse 2, we see here that the Targum tells us about this particular verse, that uh, a note that it gives is that Ahasuerus actually ends up taking all of Esther's kindred, her family, and declaring them free so they would no longer have to live in slavery. As we see here in verse 2, it says that, uh, that uh, whereunto the king advanced him. Listen, the king directly is the one who lifted up Mordecai to his place of authority, and it's recorded the authority that he had. And then it says, and they are not written, uh, they are now written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of the Medes and Persians. So we see here that it's recorded uh, throughout human history. Now, in what we see here, the, the faith here that Mordecai had lived out was an open testimony to who he was, not just for us to have in a recording in Scripture, but even the Targum and other historical documents would give us the information we need regarding Mordecai and his spiritual life and who he is. So as we look here, we see that if you look into the Tariqs, uh, which is another group of historical documents, you will find information in those chronicles about Mordecai and his power and his authority and, and, and his ability to influence the kingdom being the second in command there uh, to the king. He was a visor, as what we would call, and we look in verse 3 and we'll see some of that. It says here, For Mordecai the Jew was next unto the king of Ahasuerus, the greatest among the Jews, and, the, and accepted of the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people and seeking peace to all his seed. Now, when we look at this, we see here that uh, it declares clearly that Mordecai was the second in command. He was the vizier, the prime minister to the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. So as we look at his life and we see his testimony in verse 3 as the book closes, 
we, we see a man who was lifted, elevated to this place of authority. I think it's interesting when you study scripture, you see people like Joseph back in Genesis, who, who is sold into slavery by his brothers, put into a, a prison, and all, all is, is, is a mess. I mean, all is just all hope uh, for Joseph. He's, he's just uh, uh, stuck in a place that he never chose to be in. And yet God used him in that place to elevate him to be the second in command. You see Daniel uh, in the book of Daniel. You see that Daniel is taken captive into Babylon long before we see the book of Esther here. And we see Daniel's taken into this captivity into Babylon. And yet in captivity in Babylon, he becomes a, a, a advisor. He becomes someone important and influential in King, uh, in, in King Nebuchadnezzar's life. We see time and time again in Scripture where people are put through the fire to, to eventually emerge to be right where God needed them to be for something miraculous to happen and for God to do something amazing for His people. Now, as we look in the Scripture and we see what happens here, we see that He was great among the Jews here in verse 3. He's greatly distinguished and honored among his own people is what we see. The, the next thing we see here is he's seek, seeking the wealth of his people. Listen, Mordecai not only was looking for the well-being of the Jews, he was looking for the Jews to be able to become wealthy and established within the Mede and Persian community and in their kingdom. We see here speaking peace to all of his seed. Mordecai wanted his seed not just to hear the words of peace, but to know what it's like to live in peace. Then we see finally in verse 3 that he passes this perpetually onto his seed. Look at, look at verse 3 here real quick in the scriptures. It says uh, in the end of the verse, seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all his seed. All those who were descendants of Mordecai were ones who were able to benefit from his authority and the peace that he garnished there in the Mede and Persian kingdom under King Ahasuerus. So we see here in Esther, what a tremendous study. We start the, this book out with, in chapter 1, Mordecai the captive, and we end the book with Mordecai the prime minister. We start this book out with with Esther, the Jewish girl who is unrecognized, no parents, adopted by family members and raised, to now she's queen. I think it's interesting, her, her uh, tenure, uh, if I'm understanding historically, uh, was about uh, 12 to 13 years as the queen in, in Ahasuerus' kingdom. Um, when we look at the, the passage of Scripture here, we we recognize that the book of Esther is an amazing book that, that has interesting characters and delivers an amazing story. But I want you to, to, as we finish up the study of Esther tonight, I want you to consider that the book of Esther is not just a lone book to tell a story. It's a piece of a much larger story. If you go back to the book of Ezra and you look around chapter 6 or 7 of Ezra, you'll see that in the book of Ezra there are decrees and there are, are writings there regarding the, the decrees of Ahasuerus, Darius the king, and 
people of God, Israel, going back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, to put the altar back in place after their captivity in Babylon. So we see here the big picture, the bigger picture, I should say, is that the book of Esther is a book that is written about people who did not go back to Jerusalem to take part in the rebuilding of the temple. They are people who, who chose rather to stay in, in the Persian, the Medes and Persian kingdom after the Medes and Persians defeated Babylon and, and took the lands and property and the kingdom that Babylon had. These Jews chose to stay in that uh, Mede and Persian kingdom in these areas and not go back to Jerusalem. So the book of Esther is about God dealing with his people that refused to go where they needed to go. So he was working in them and trying to, trying to help them to understand the necessity to be part of what was going on back in Jerusalem. So if we look here, we see that Esther, now, we're, we're finishing the series tonight, so here's some facts for you as we've studied. The book of Esther means we've studied book number 17 in the Word of God. We've went over it every week, Genesis through Esther, and quoted them. We've been introduced to what we believe the author to be, which is Mordecai. Now, I know if you're a Bible scholar or you're a theologian or, or you're a student of God's Word and you are... are Diving deep into the book of Esther, you may come up with Ezra being a possible author, or you may come up with a, uh, a scribe or someone within the, the temple being the writer. Uh, the research I've done would strongly recommend Mordecai. Uh, Ezra is kind of one off to the side, and then maybe someone that was in the temple may have been another option. So we studied 10 chapters. That 10 chapters broke down to 167 verses, 5,637 words. Now, the key word in the book of Esther, as you study it and as we looked at it, we kept, I kept saying it over and over again, is the providence of God. The providence of God. The providence of God. Listen, nothing happens by mistake with God. He works as a sovereign God. As we continue to look, we see, as we look back on the, the study we've done, Esther chapter 4, verses 13 and 14 were the key verses. And that was, Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Listen, at that point, it's almost as if there's a turning point in Esther's life as Mordecai encourages her and coaches her to engage with the king to save the Jewish nation. The key subject that we find in the book of Esther as we've studied is the threat of extinction of God's people and God's providential protection of them as, let's face it, Satan tried to destroy them. As we studied, this isn't the first time Satan tried to destroy God's people. Even back in the Garden of Eden, what happened between Cain and Abel, Satan was trying to destroy God's plan. As we look at what takes place in, uh, in the flood and, and the destruction of the world. The Tower of Babel, all this takes place to bring us to what happens 
in Egypt. Satan trying to kill all those babies in Egypt as Pharaoh gives his decree that all the male children be killed. Why is that so? It's so because it was Satan trying to exterminate the Jewish people. As we continue to read the scriptures, we find out time and time again, Satan tried to destroy the Jewish people. We even get to the New Testament and Jesus is born. And what does Herod do? Herod wants all the male babies killed. Why? Because it's an attack and the extinction of the Jewish people because Satan knows what God is promised to do through them. And Satan knows, whether you believe it or not, Satan can testify to the fact that God is true to His Word. As we look in Scripture, we see here that the Jews, they are in a bad spot here. They're going to be extinct. But God providentially intervenes. The key personalities that we studied as we looked at the book, we looked at Ahasuerus, we looked at Vashti, we looked at Esther, we looked at Haman, and we looked at Mordecai. These key players in the story, and we studied a little bit about them. The people addressed in the book of Esther are the rebellious and stubborn people of Israel. The people who refused to return from their captivity to Jerusalem to be able to rebuild the temple. The problem addressed here is will God care for His rebellious people? Will God care for His rebellious people? Isn't it great to know, as we look at the book of Esther, and we see how God deals with His people, even in their rebellion, that He still exists, extended grace and love and mercy and preserved them. See, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, like I know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, we all know the reality, and that is that we fail daily in our desire to live for God. We're only human. But listen, I encourage, and I want to I I plead with you as a believer, let's be careful about allowing sin to become a habit in our life. Let's be careful about that sin that latches on us and becomes a part of us and a habit of us that we become so distracted from our walk with God, we get detoured from our relationship with God the way it ought to be because of that sin that we've allowed to attach to us. But understand, even with that sin attached to us, God doesn't stop loving us. Listen, the Word of God tells us in the book of Romans that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Not even you or me can separate ourselves from the love of God. You say, but Bill, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the wrong that I've done. I, I, I claim to be a Christian, but I did this or I did that. Listen, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ... God loves you beyond what you have done even as a Christian. Listen, if you're not a Christian and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you don't have a relationship with God the Father, God loves you. I don't care what you've done. God loves you beyond anything you've ever done. He loved a rebellious and wicked people that He called His own and preserved them because He had great things for them to do. Listen, if you don't know God, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and asked Him to forgive you for your sin, 
and ask him to come into your life and ask him to reconcile you with the Father and give your life to him to live it out. Listen, if you've never done that, I encourage you today to do that. And I, I understand you might say, Bill, you don't know what I've done. I don't need to know what you've done. God already knows, and he took care of it on the cross of Calvary. God showed you how much he loves you and wants to forgive you for your sin through the cross of Calvary and him giving his own son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. He put Christ, he allowed Christ to go to the cross of Calvary to pay for the sins of the world. He didn't just pay for good people's sins because none of us are good. He paid for the sins of the world. The rapist, the murderer, the person who, who the, the leader who, 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 who carries out genocide on his people, people who would do horrendous things that you would think could never be forgiven. They were paid for on the cross of Calvary. And all God says is, if you want forgiveness, if you want redemption, if you want to be reconciled to me, God says, believe that my son paid for your sin on the cross. Ask him to forgive you for your sin. Ask him into your life. And he'll save you no matter how wicked you've been. God still saves and redeems people. He was doing it in Esther to his people, and he's doing it today. And if you need Jesus Christ today and forgiveness, Reach out to Jesus right now today and ask Him into your life. How about the next thing here, the outline of the book? We see here the crisis anticipated in chapters 1 through 5 and then the crisis averted in chapters 6 through 10. We see here that Esther, the last thing I want to close tonight with is Esther illustrates that God's people may lose sight of God, but God never loses sight of His people. Listen, there are things we do in life that we may lose sight, we may lose our way, we may get distracted, we may get off the, the path that we should be on. But please don't ever be mistaken. God is right here. God is right with you. And God wants to bless you. He wants to work in your life. But I'm here to tell you today, if you're a believer, we need to... We need to understand God loves us no matter what we do. But as a believer, we ought to live in obedience to God's word because we love God and because we are a believer. Not so we can be saved. We don't obey to be saved. We obey because we're saved. And it's a battle. It's a fight. And I know it is. But don't get discouraged. Don't, don't, don't get heartached over it. Pray and ask God to forgive. Pray and ask God to give strength. Get some counseling if you have a sin that is habitually attached to your life that you battle with. Get some counseling. Get an accountability partner. Get some help to overcome it. If you're watching this tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, maybe you don't think God could ever forgive you. I'm here to tell you today that God can forgive anybody. There is a man in the New Testament named Saul. Saul actually had the job of killing Christians because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And one day, Saul realized that his way was against God. And he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior, repented of his sins, and gave his life to God. 
And Saul's name was changed to Paul. And Paul penned over half of the New Testament, the Bible that we, that we read and study today. He went all throughout the regions that he lived in, preaching the gospel and starting churches. And today, the evangelism in the church that we see today is a direct result of Paul giving his life to God, even though he was a murderer, murdering Christians. So I'm here to tell you, if you don't know Christ, don't wait. Don't put it off. You don't know if you have it tomorrow. Tonight, take a moment and pray and ask God to forgive you for your sin, to come into your life. Tell God you want to live for Him. Give your life to Him. And watch Him work in you in ways and provide peace for you like you've never seen before. Listen, as our last lesson closes here, if you have any questions, if you need help, if you go to oakleafbaptist.org and you go to the staff page on our website, you can email me, you can email Pastor Ball. Either one of us would be more than happy to have a conversation with you and help you in your walk or coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Don't hesitate to put it off. Do it today. Father, we come before you. We thank you for the book of Esther and all we could celebrate as we studied it. I pray that you'll take this information, work in our hearts and lives, and utilize it. Father, I pray that if there's someone who's been watching this study and they've seen the hand of God work, they've seen the hand of God work with people who are rebellious. I pray, God, that you'll help each and every one of us as we study this book to recognize that God loves us. That He wants to work in us and He wants to, to be in our lives. And I pray, Father, if there's someone listening that's been struggling with sin in their life, I pray that they'll get the help they need. I pray that if there's someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ, they've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, recognize Jesus and what He did on the cross for their sin. I pray that even tonight they would pray and accept Jesus Christ. Now, God, take us as we go out of this place. I pray that you will help us to utilize this book to encourage others, to lift our hearts, and to serve you. And we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Hey, thanks for joining the study, and I hope you have a great week. We'd like to thank you for joining the broadcast of Oakley Baptist Church in Orange Park, Florida. Oakley Baptist is all about leading people to God. We do this by learning God's Word, loving God and others, and living out our faith. For more information, visit us online at oakleybaptist.org.